Welcome to Crazy Enough to Win. I'm your host, John Grubbs. Welcome to the show. Now, we have an update for you today. We are giving you a step-by-step, play-by-play update on where Sweden stands by its different approach to COVID-19. And the question is, is it working? And, you know, the idea that we are in an objective scientific approach in the United States to COVID-19, well, I just don't think that is the case. I don't think that holds water. Politics have ruined the objectivity of our strategy against this coronavirus. And the lines have been drawn in the sand and each side has dug in. We must lock down everything. We must stay locked down. We must reopen the economy. These are the things you hear from today's politicians. And I hesitate to use the word leaders because we are in an election year. And the big question is, should we have locked down in the first place? Should we have ordered stay at home all over the USA? Did we do the right thing? Well, only history will tell us the truth. A pandemic during an election season has blurred reality and with it the truth about our strategy against the virus. And I am just not sure we are doing the best thing. I'm not sure locking down the entire country was the best approach given the economic impact. And could we have treated the U.S. regionally? I've been tracking Sweden's approach to see if we might have been better off doing something different. And also, you know, I've I've fully supported our country's approach. I'm not saying we did the wrong thing. I don't want you to think that I'm against what we did. I'm saying when we look at this rationally from pure science that is devoid of politics, we might see something different. We might see something more based in statistics than in emotion, than in fear, which seems to be the big thing we are struggling with here in the United States. And, you know, Sweden is, well, they're the proverbial canary in the coal mine. And if they can maintain a strategy that is not draconian, like a full lockdown, we can learn from them as we reopen our economy. So as of yesterday, May 11th, this is an update on Sweden's strategy. And some of this comes from Jennifer Dora with IJNet. And she's a reporter that is covering this as well. And just remember, Sweden's chief epidemiologist challenged a wide array of public practices, from wearing masks in public to keeping young children at home from school that countries are using in the fight against COVID-19. And this was an interview that was done with Anders Tegnell, which you've heard me talk about on this podcast several times for the International Center for Journalists. So I don't know what or which way this 
center leans politically, but this is a very objective and seems to be, well, something that is less politically biased. So Dr. Anders Tegnell also cast doubt on the likely availability of new therapies and vaccines in the near future. He just, he's not sure that we're going to have them as soon as we are hearing. You know, from the outset of the pandemic, Sweden under Tegnell's leadership has embraced a herd immunity approach. Some people call it a population immunity approach to managing the outbreak. And Sweden's controversial public health policies have encouraged personal responsibility for physical distancing and other measures and offering recommendations to their citizens without imposing strict emergency orders. So that's a little bit different from what we are doing in our country and what's happening in most countries around the world as a response to this pandemic. And the Swedish model is showing you that you can get very far by voluntary measures, Tegnell said. And, you know, the conversation that he had with these experts happened at, well, the Embassy of Sweden in Washington, D.C. And other nearby countries, such as Finland, may have lower transmission rates than Sweden, but Tegnell said it would be difficult to keep those rates down when daily life returns to normal. And 99% of the population is still susceptible to the disease. Meanwhile, Sweden's approach has already led to about 25% immunity amongst its population. And in Sweden, early detection of the novel coronavirus in the population made the less harsh restrictions feasible. He said, we were very much alert. So we saw cases early on, he said. And by the time many countries knew there were positive cases in their populations, the number of those cases were already spreading at a rate that would soon overwhelm hospitals. And this was probably due to limited testing in other places, he said. So let's answer a few questions. He was asked, how did Sweden choose their approach? And here's his answer. He said, I think we started out using the methods that we always use in public health, having sort of a conversation with the public, putting a lot of trust in the public, and giving a little responsibility to individuals, which is exactly what our communicable disease laws are telling us to do. And by following the pattern, doing this could keep the number of cases down and we could keep our health services working. We did a number of smaller things. We also looked at restaurants, which we knew from Italy and Austria and other places were of great transmission. And we tried to minimize transmission in those places. So in general, we said, don't, we don't want to lock down the whole thing. We want to, well, sort of close down and minimize the transmission areas in which we know there is high risk of transmission. So that was his approach to how they selected their strategy. So here's another question. Why is Sweden's death toll higher than neighboring countries? So listen to what he said about that. He said, I think we have known for a long time that the quality of care in those facilities has not always been up to standard. He's talking about elderly care facilities, especially in the areas of hygiene procedures. And there has been a number of in investigations telling us that. No, no, the level is not high enough. 
And we also know that we get spread of antibiotic resistance and so on in those elder care facilities. So we've known that was a weak spot for us. And the number of cases in those nursing homes or elder care facilities are slowly coming down, especially in the Stockholm area. And you got to remember, Stockholm is a city of about 1.5 to 2 million, depending on how far out you go from the center of the city. So it is a good comparison to an average city in the U.S. of 1.5 to 2 million. And here's another question asked of Anders Tegnell. Will shutting down the economy save lives? Listen to his response. He said, we are now getting results from several countries showing that our Nordic neighbors, maybe one to 2% of the population are now immune, while the estimate for Sweden is around 25%. So of course, we are much further into this epidemic and much closer to having a level of immunity in that population. That would help us clearly keep a low number of cases every day while having a very open society, he said. It, if this translates into death tolls exactly, well, that remains to be seen. <laughs> so then he was asked, did Swedish hospitals get overwhelmed? Listen to his response to that. The National Board of Health and Welfare, who takes care of this, they say that there has been no time during this pandemic in Sweden where we have had less than 20% of the beds free. And the beds are really beds. They are beds with staff, facilities, everything in place. So they didn't have to build the large hospitals or bring in the ships. Nothing wrong with doing those, but they didn't have to do that. So what about Sweden's approach in general to the pandemic? Listen to his response. He said, our goal has always been to keep the level of spread down low enough for our health system and society as a whole to keep functioning at a good level. And I don't think we've managed to do that in Sweden with, well, he said, I think we have managed to do that in Sweden, of course, with the exception of the high death toll we have in some areas of the community. We also know that eventually we would get help from the immunity in the population to keep the level of spread down. And in the long term, only a level of immunity in the population will keep the spread down to reasonable level until we have a vaccine, which is going to be quite far off. Hmm. Hmm. And then he was asked, does contracting COVID 19 provide immunity. Listen to his response there. Normally, you measure immunity by the number of antibodies you can find in the blood. The level of antibodies among different cases seems to vary a lot. So it's going to be a bit tricky on the individual, well, to estimate if someone is immune, he said. On the other hand, it's quite certain that immunity does exist. And if there's a lot of proof of that, he said, I mean, for all the cases we have in Sweden, there has not been one single person who has had this disease twice. And we have a very strict identification system. So there is no way we would miss it or miss a person who had it twice. And I haven't heard any reports from any country where there has been a certified case who has actually had it twice. There's been rumors about it. But in the end, they, well, have been disclaimed. 
So I'm thinking that's not a problem. The problem is to say if an individual will be immune so that you can tell this person you will never get the disease. And that's where we still don't know. Well, we don't have long enough observation periods because we aren't quite ready to say that yet. And maybe, maybe there are other parts of the immune system that provide protection that antibodies, well, would not do. And how long this immunity would last? Well, he said that our virologists said at least three to six months. They said that's a minimum, but nobody knows because we haven't observed this very long yet. We think, listen to this, we think that the now slow decline of number of cases in Stockholm is due to the level of immunity in the population because we do see a drop of cases and we haven't really changed any measures for the last four to five weeks, he said. If anything, there is a slight sign that adhering to social distancing and so on is maybe a little bit less now than it used to be a few weeks back. So the one reason we can see this slow decline of cases is really that there must be enough immune people in the population to keep the spread down a bit. How cool is that? So then he was asked about stay-at-home orders. He was asked, you know, other countries issued stay-at-home orders and then allowed a gradual re reopening. What are your thoughts? He said, I think these countries are thinking about the same thing. They want to have a slow spread of the disease. And I think the lockdown, at least in some countries, is due to the very rapid increase of cases. And then these sort of softer measures, such as what we're using here in Sweden, might not have stopped that, he said. And now maybe a level of softer measures can keep the level of new cases down. So he's saying that we're going to default to what Sweden is doing anyway as we open up. And then he was asked about testing and contact tracing. Here's his response to those two topics. He said, if this thing about testing a lot, contact tracing and so on, would really make this possible, that remains, remains to be seen. I mean, we're talking about a huge undertaking in a country like Denmark with its population of 4 million. They're going to employ 18,000 people just to do the tracking. And that does not account for all the testing personnel and so on. So this is a huge investment by society to do something. Really, I'm not quite sure how well this is going to work because COVID-19 is a tricky disease. And then he was asked about wearing masks in public. Listen to his response. He said, I think for two reasons we haven't required that. He said, the first reason is that the science behind this is not very strong. I think everybody I talk to points back to one study from Hong Kong, a very theoretical study where they've studied how droplets pass through mostly some droplets containing different kinds of viruses, not COVID-19, but similar kinds of viruses. He said it might be true, but it's only one small study. It's never shown that it's going to work out in public. In Sweden, one of our strong policies has been if you feel sick in the morning, stay home. And we are afraid that if we start introducing masks, people, instead of staying home, will put on the mask and go to work, go out and shop and so on. And we will definitely, well, be a lot more spread around those people than staying home and isolating themselves. 
He went on to say that our government has made it possible to stay home for the first time because you get your sick pay from the first day from the government. There is no financial incentive to go away to work. You can safely stay home and you can keep getting the same kind of money. <laughs> and then he went, was, went on to, to be asked about, you know, why did secondary and college students shift to social distancing? And here was his answer. He said, the reason we said that high schools and universities should go to distance learning is twofold. One, that we know that distancing learning works quite well in that context. In other words, they're good at this. And it's used quite a lot in universities and to a certain extent already in high schools. So they will still get their education through this system and it will still work. But on the other hand, they've traveled quite a lot, especially in universities, but also in high schools. You tend to have sometimes travel, well, they travel long distances between your home and the school. Hmm. So that was his answer for those. What about the younger children? You know, there's this theory out there that younger children are super spreaders of the virus. Listen to his response about that. He said, there is no such evidence whatsoever that children are spreading the virus at high levels. We see extremely few cases among children. Among the 15 to 16,000 COVID-19 cases in Sweden, only 200 200 were among people less than 20 years of age. So we don't see much disease in those age groups. And that means they're not spreading it if they don't get the disease. And then people say, okay, children, children have the disease, but they don't get sick. Children do have the virus now and then, but there is very little evidence that this spreads the virus from children to adults. Hmm. So there you have an alternate approach, an alternate, well, reality to what we're hearing in the news. A different view of this same reality. With the presidential election in the background affecting what people say and how they say it, I think sometimes we need to look outside of the politically charged reality that we have. And I'm not saying I agree with Sweden, but folks, I admire them for going against the grain, for being different and sticking to a plan. They are crazy enough to go big against the developed world. Will we see if they are crazy enough to win? Don't know. But guess what? We will definitely keep you posted. Until next time.